Artist Journal, July 7th, 2020, Berlin. My name is Adrian Pocabelli. I am the artist of the Artist Journal. Welcome back. Welcome back. It's been maybe two years since we've updated this podcast. We have some new music. We have a guest. We have some new ideas. And it just felt like it was time to reawaken this podcast. And, you know, thank you so much for your patience. All of you who listened to those early amateur episodes. Uh, But we've come a long way. And we've been practicing. We've been doing all sorts of stuff to improve the audio, improve the voice, improve everything. So we hope you enjoy that. And yes, I decided to bring in a guest. I thought that was a good idea. Also, I have a bit more of a mandate now. Ultimately, loosely, and it may take a few episodes to get to this, but ultimately... I am trying to create a synthesis of what is actually going on. It's so easy each morning to look at the, your phone and have everybody else tell you what is going on. And I think we just need a little bit more diversity. And so that's why a lot of the guests I'm going to bring in, you're going to never have heard of. But today, we have actually a very interesting person. Maybe you have heard of him. He's a Berlin performance artist. He's Japanese, Yuki Nishimura. And I met Yuki, I think, a couple of years ago, and I barely recognized him. I saw him at an art opening, the first major art opening I went to since the coronavirus. It was just a few days before the solstice. And it was cool because it was an outdoor courtyard event. And yeah, me and Yuki got talking shortly after I arrived, and we had this really interesting conversation. And Yuki had this great perspective that I thought, you know, this would be a great way to start this podcast. I've been thinking about it. Let's just put Yuki on the program. And what Yuki's perspective was, was he was calling everything neoliberal. <laughs> he's calling, he's talking about these neoliberal moments. And I just thought that was so interesting. And we were talking about the art world, and we were talking about how that was so neoliberal. And I just kind of thought that was hilarious because I think the art world in general is pretty critical of neoliberalism, but I couldn't disagree. In a sense, I I was kind of helping build the argument. I was like, it is pretty neoliberal. And we're talking about, and we're going to get into what neoliberal means because it means a few different things. And I'm about to get into that. But before we do, I just thought it was interesting because it was like, you know, if we were talking about, if you were to give advice to someone who, okay, you want to succeed in the art world, how would you do it, was our conversation. And my advice would be to probably go to some elite art school. Then that is the path. You, you go in and then you have your show in the fourth year and then the people in the industry will take you seriously because you have been trained by the right people. And so therefore you are acclimated for lack of a better term, and you are allowed to be taken seriously. And it seemed like kind of a neoliberal. Now, I mean, what is neoliberalism? Is this a misuse of the term? So let's look at the definition. Let's walk away with knowing something more here. And you probably already know. I mean, 
I would have said it was a, you know, I, I think we brought it up in the interview, sort of like pro-market, uh, pro-free market, pro, you know, privatization type ideology, which, you know, and I was talking to my girlfriend about it, who's Bolivian, and she was saying, yeah, like neoliberalism, it's kind of an older term. Like that's something that came in in the 90s and they would bring in this kind of Western agenda. I mean, that is ultimately this Western agenda, and but it had failed to a certain degree, and then you end up with guys like Chavez. There's a perception in Latin America that neoliberalism was something that kind of happened and didn't work because you have these guys like Chavez, you have Evo Morales, and these are kind of responses to neoliberalism. These are kind of uh, evidence of the failure of neoliberalism. And so it's an interesting thing. But I do enjoy how Yuki was applying this term to so many things. He's talking about neoliberal moments as a performance artist. And I kind of know what he's saying. And so let's just take a look at the definition here. If you go to Wikipedia, which I understand is not the gold standard of knowledge. I mean, any scientist will freak out if you use Wikipedia. That being said, it's not a terrible start. So on Wikipedia, neoliberalism is a term for different social and economic ideas. So several ideas. Originally, the term was used by groups of liberals who helped shape social market economy in the mid-20th century. Neoliberalism is characterized by free market trade, deregulation of financial markets, individualization, and the shift away from state welfare provision. The ideas were developed by the economists Frederick Hayek, Ludwig von Mises, Willem Ropke, Walter Eucken, Milton Friedman, and others. They were first presented at a conference in 1938. Neoliberalism is antithetical to the protection of group rather than individual interests. For example, that might be achieved through lobbying of groups or state interventions that protect national interests via tariffs or subsidies. Neoliberalism, and I think this is the key point here, has moved away from a centrally governed economy. And finally, we have the contemporary use. Since the 1990s, the term has been consistently used in academia to imply the move from welfare state to laissez-faire economic management, particularly associated with the promotion of free market ideals in the late 1980s by Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan. Okay, so there is our definition of neoliberalism. So as we were saying, I, I sort of would group this all together. I'd call it the Western agenda, Westernism. You know, basically what, that's what was being explored to Latin America was this kind of uh, laissez-faire capitalism, uh, unregulated financial markets, and privatization. Okay. What's super interesting about what Yuki has to say is he sort of starts applying this term to our everyday lives and how it comes to embody a kind of mentality. If I understand him right, you can listen here. We have a 40 minutes with Yuki, so we really go deep into it. But what I find so interesting is, say, looking at something like the art world or the art scene as a kind of neoliberal, as a kind of epitomizing or an example of a kind of neoliberal institution. And you look at this art school, like how to succeed as an artist, it's going through 
the establishment and going through, it's kind of this really academic, you know, you go through this system. It's very elitist in the sense that not everybody can afford to or even get into these schools. It's geographically elitist and all these things. And when he, he describes the schools as kind of being neoliberal and the scene, you kind of know what he means. At least I do. And so we're going to get into it. That's our interview, our feature interviews with Yuki Nishimura, performance artist, Japanese performance artist based in Berlin. And before we get to that, I just giving an update on what I'm working on. So I have finished the Peloponnesian War series. That was turned into 215 images. Uh, if you want to see it, just go to the Instagram at Pocobelli, P-O-C-O-B-E-L-L-I. And so that is finished. We're, I'm going to turn it into lithographs, I think. Uh, there's always this huge challenge when you're making a work digitally. And it was all made on the phone and use, looking at using uh, Greek vase imagery and quotes from Thucydides' Peloponnesian War, which I sometimes edited. And yeah, so those are going to be turned into prints somehow. I'm looking at lithography here in Berlin. There's a great institution at Bethanian uh, associated with Bebe Ka, and they have digital printing and they have lithography and screen printing. I'm just starting to get involved there, and I'm very excited. It's a little cheaper and it looks like they have a pretty good studio there. So that's great for a digital artist like me who is looking to turn his works into physical things. Uh, as well, I have begun, now that the Peloponnesian War art book is done, I have begun uh, re-looking and re- I'm trying to put a, basically a professional uh, version of the Related Images and Screen Memories series. I had first worked on those in 2017. I had a couple of shows of related images, one at the factory co-working space in Prenzlauerberg, and I had another show at the Fata Morgana project space on Torstrasse in Mitte. Those were great, but I kind of, after getting the feedback and everything, I decided I needed to take another crack at that series. I loved the series, but... It was really, those shows came up really quickly. I had to put stuff together. I was happy with the work, but I felt like I could do more, and the feedback really helped. So I am re-attacking those series. So that is basically what I'm working on. Again, you can just go to the website, pokebelly.net, or the Instagram, and you can see it. Now, while we're on this, just before we continue, and I should say, and prints are on the way. I have been asked sporadically by people by friends and strangers, and it's always deeply appreciated when you go down this strange path of being an artist in a committed way, it's always appreciated when people want your work. And so I have been telling people for a couple of years now, <laughs> prints are coming, they are coming. Uh, we're getting involved, things are getting physical. It's not an easy road, folks, but we are getting there. So keep tabs on that, keep listening, I'll let everybody know one way or another, and also just an interesting little art idea I came across, because sometimes people ask, well, these are screen memories and related images have very similar styles, um, you know, using a lot of fills and uh, digital paint brushes, whereas the Peloponnesian War 
is kind of like this purely digital, almost not quite cartoony, but it's a bit of a different style. And I saw this kind of up and coming curator on Instagram and she was talking about how it was ask me anything type moment. And someone said, what is it you look for in an emerging artist? I want to see a consistent style. And I don't think that's true. Like I, I, cause I, you know, I, for me as an artist, it's almost a conceptual toolbox. When I come up with a, a project, I come up with basically a series of rules, almost like Saul LeWitt puts out his rules. I have a series of process rules and I execute it. They get refined over time. And just like the screen memories series and related images, that's a process that's getting refined. And now I feel like, okay, that process is really getting uh, refined where I can start. It's worth it to make more physical works. And so I just think uh, that this idea is wrong. And I, I think if we look at the work of Gerhard Richter, it's a great example of how you can have different styles and that doesn't hurt you. It's a matter of you, you need to be consistent within those styles. But to have different styles, I mean, you'll hear of artists who feel trapped and they feel like, oh, they're selling work with the gallery brought them on and they had a certain style and look, now they feel like they can't move away from that because the gallery's not happy. That's the stuff that sells and they feel like prisoners, you know? And for me, they're just, it's just a matter of their series is what these are. They're just different series. And I think if you back up far enough, if you take a wide enough view, they actually do have the same style. They have the same sort of strange color quality. They have the same sort of conceptual intellectual style. There might be more consistency than a superficial look might think because and I guess the reason I'm bringing this up is because I think I get that criticism sometimes from people is that, well, he's too all over the place and it's, I don't think that's fair. So with that, but you can be judged for yourself, pokebelly.net. And with that, um, just a quick thing on what I'm reading. I'm reading the Decameron by Boccaccio. It's a hundred stories. It's, uh, it's an Italian medieval work. Uh, based out of Florence, and I started reading it because uh, it had this great introduction on the plague. I started reading it in March, during the, during the plague month of March, because it has this great introduction of what it was like in the famous 1348 plague uh, that hit Florence and really went all over Europe and decimated anywhere between a third and a half the population. And what, what the story is about is these kind of aristocratic women and men, seven women, three men, they go outside the city as a way of, to escape the plague. And as a way of entertaining themselves, they start telling each other stories. And it's divided into 10 days of storytelling. And everybody takes a turn for each day. So it turns into 100 stories. And I'm on day three, so I'm about, you know, 25 stories in. And you know what's so interesting about it? First is how modern it is, the sentiment. Like, often you think of medieval as being pretty prudish. And sure, it's not our crazy, over-the-top, you know, as Ballard calls it, the overlit realm of, you know, mass media and whatever you want, whenever you want. 
But nevertheless, it's all these sort of like love sagas and, you know, people cheating on each other, wives cheating on husbands and vice versa, and all these, you know, love intrigue stories. And so that's something that has really impressed me. And it's a great read, you know, and it's the first books, all these very short stories. So it's pretty easy to get started. And the stories start getting a little longer and they shorten up a bit. So anyways, that's what I'm reading, and it's great, so I recommend it. There is some great YouTube lectures on Dante and Boccaccio, also Petrarch, and I'll leave one in the show notes. It's There is just some great stuff and where Dante, first of all, it went Dante, and then Petrarch came after Dante, and then Boccaccio came after Petrarch, and they're all sort of around a hundred-year span that they all lived in. And Boccaccio, even at the near the end of his life, is giving lectures on Dante. Okay? And so that's really interesting. And just as an example of an idea, in the Inferno, in one of these lectures I was watching, Dante is describing his friend Giotto, or the person he knew, Giotto and Cimabue, in the new realistic style. And he's describing painting as visual speech. And... I think this is a really great idea. Uh, a lot of my work is eventually going to be going much more text. There's already text in it, but it's all it's going to go back. That's the big plan. And so it just goes to show that these medieval guys, ideas like visual speech, there are great ideas. There are very modern ideas in these medieval guys. So they are worth going to, just like the classic guys and everything else. So with that, let's take a listen to Yuki. And uh, Yuki's in a coffee shop in Mitte. I was talking from my apartment. Without further ado, Japanese performance artist Yuki Nishimura on the Artist Journal podcast. Joining me now is Yuki Nishimura, who is a Japanese performance artist based in Berlin. And Yuki, good to hear from you. Uh, you're coming from a cafe in Berlin, correct? Yeah, right now I'm just at the cafe. I finished my coffee. I'm just having the tap water right now. But I'm, uh, I'm just uh, sitting outside. It's quite loud. But... Okay, well, it's not too loud over here. So as long as it works for you, and I'm glad you're all coffeeed up. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so we great. can get the, the best of your brain. So tell me, yeah. what are you working on in Berlin? How long have you been here? What are you up to? Well, I lived here for like last three years and since I started living in the UK, so like after living there for six years, I thought maybe it would be better to live in Germany or in Berlin for regarding to my research. Okay, and sorry, how long were you in London again for? Was it, you say like three years? Six, six and a half. Years. Six and a half years. Yeah. And how did you find that as an artist? Did you find it, I assume you, did you know people beforehand? How did you find it for trying to break in? To the but, scene there did you feel welcomed were you able to show your work how'd that go i don't know it's not that much to be honest i i just study there and oh um, you're studying okay yeah i did finish my degree but like uh, you know it's kind of like uh, when you're about becoming like end of 20 you finally get in know what kind of reference in your life that you do have and so and then uh, comparing that like uh, comparing between uk and germany I thought for myself with my body, I thought that Germany is better or like not, not better, but like I can 
I can have more better research here. Essentially, that like uh, I was really into like uh, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, mm-hmm. and all those some sort of a kind of like nihilistic or like negative a uh, side of image that Germany has towards to example Josef Beuys. It's more like I think it's metaphor of how they cooperate with archetypes of a dad or father, like uh, how you to cooperate with your dad. You know, and then like while that you're growing up. Uh, just to clarify, so your interest is sort of like male relationships. Is that a fair, or is that what brought so, you here yeah. a little bit? And the and the German yeah, yeah. sort of male relationship, and you also felt like this is a good place to do your research versus London. For me, it's like yeah, London is like uh, rather based on some sort of a curiosity, and then I think Berlin is more like based on uh, some sort of like familiarization. So I can be myself in London with my friend, but then that was too comfortable for me. Here is more like required to examine myself individually. I think who who I am. What's I am? Like who, who I am, what kind of quality my body has individually. Did you feel like you stood out more in Germany, in a sense, versus London, where you felt like you were no, more assimilated? Is that what you're getting at, or something else? I think Germany definitely has. How can I put in there? I did study uh, in London. So I think regarding to that question, I think I already had a bubble, the way I, I feel comfortable with in London. Right. Even though, yeah. like, um, I never... Whatever that my quality never changed that like I'm coming from outside I, I never be able to like become a, a Londoner or like uh, you know English I never be able to fit into the the art discourse there but at the same time I had a certain uh, level of a privilege so I am from obviously um, one of the art school that is really popular there and can you say yeah, the art like, school just uh, so we're Wall Smith yeah okay. Uh, I should probably know what that is, but uh, <laughs> but anyway, I think it's is, in Canada and what? Yeah, um, yeah, and but like I think lately also in the UK talking about like a structure of racism and I think uh, talking about trauma is is quite a big things. But then um, at the same time, there was not that much of like digging into the deep to discover the structure of trauma means, and mm-hmm. I think that's. Comparing to that, like in Germany, like obviously the, a lot of things is still taboo. Talking about like structural racism and like especially PTSD, how those belongs to like in a material level. But I just I thought, okay, if regarding to um, answering the question of why I felt it's better to be in Berlin, is nothing like being like feeling positive here or not. I just do have enough material. That I can access. I think I understand now. So it's more like the the traumatic aspect of Germany. Like it, there's more trauma. It's here, not. It's not just only like interest. negative side side. No, it's your but interest. Just, yeah, it's just generally like I, you know, if you have so much of trash on the street, you can at least pick up, and that's like has some sort of like my my performativity, which also like kind of still gives some sort of like a negative connotation of it, but. At least I can see on the field, like, like a ad hoc, like, what's the adjective of ad hoc? Instantly, that, like, I can pick up so much of, like, materials on the street, well, like, right. improvisingly, I think. Rather, in the UK, is a lot of things is still, uh, it, it'll fit into the format. And, like, a lot of things is, like, kind of, for me, it's, like, kind of taboo uh, to do it. There is the right way to do, which obviously also reflecting to here in the German academic, the structure. 
there is a certain singularity of what to do, which I'm not part of it. Okay, so tell me, so you've been here and now you're working on a project right now called How to Be Nice, mm -hmm. Eine Deutsche Stunde. Tell me about that and maybe tell me how it fits in. I assume it fits in with the trauma theme. Yeah, well, it's not just only trauma theme, but um, also as in, I'm really interested in like to um, public property and how we can care essentially each other. I often see that like a lot of a hostility and also people are like quite often aggressive in order to share the public uh, space comes to a train or also, you know, or there's public transportation. Could you give me a specific example of that? Mm. Even something this, very, very small. Yeah, this, you know? this story that like uh, when I talked to one of the German guy, he couldn't really take it. But I felt even it's much better to be in Gdansk, which is like tiny city in Poland, has long story, like long history of a being a bay or like in a holiday uh, city for like last 500 years or something. And then uh, me being there as in a like small Asian like uh, body, even though all people, how do you say, give the path on the street, like uh, like if someone is Oh yeah, they, up they make you, way for you? Yeah. They give you space? I, yeah. yeah they, but like it never happened in Germany. And then, yeah, I, I don't. I, that might be true for Germans and Germans on the street. Like, but I wonder. Yeah, like they're notoriously terrible. Their sidewalk manner. That's one thing the coronavirus actually changed. I noticed we're forced into more being more courteous. No, it's it's but it's awful because like it's still based on racism. Like a lot of people looking looking at me, and then like uh, like as in some sort of like a me as in like some sort of like a disgusting piece of shit because like they can reckon that like I do have corona. And uh, that, like, well, that, not lately though, but like when there's the like, corona came up and like, I often like, objectify that as in, you know, because like people believe that corona is coming from Asia or like China. Thing. And you and, felt that um, when you yeah, were Yeah, well, because like uh, they often like, like, how do you say, aggressively escape from me, like uh, giving uh, some sort of like a weird, uh, disgusting face. That was really, awful. That um, is awful. That's, that's uh, like the worst kind of racism. It's like, you have those features and those other people have those features who are sick, therefore you're a problem. That, mm -hmm. That's, it's the grossest kind of racism, but I'm sure all forms of racism are gross, but anyways, continue. Well, yeah, so then, I know it was like, uh, so I, the Gdansk was like, I was feeling better. And then I think uh, in terms of like sharing a pub public property, Mm -hmm. here has a um so basically because like also like germany is based on the territorizations like everything is based on the kingdom right and then through that people cares their own flat or their own room like making clean but when it comes to like public property often that like lose the care like trying to make it clean and so on unless now, it's been forced by legal law or something that's interesting you say that, though, because I, I, I've heard some Germans say that Berlin is a dirty city and compared to the small villages in Germany, I suppose mm -hmm. it is. It's all relative. But compared to Canada, mm -hmm. I mean, you see Canada in like March or April where I'm from mm -hmm. and the snow clears and uh, Montreal or Ottawa. <laughs> I've seen articles written in the paper. I think right. the financial... Financial Times actually wrote an article like seven or eight years ago on how disgusting Ottawa was just on the uh -huh. street. And so I come somewhere like Berlin and I go, this is like the cleanest city ever. I can't believe. But oh, wow. maybe compared to like you grew up in in Tokyo, didn't you? Yeah, public 
a some sort of a gesture and performance in Tokyo is better uh, somehow. But it's also like in a complex in this history of this city wise that almost everyone is immigrant, you know. I think that's also one of the reasons why there's lack of some sort of a feeling that like essentially feeling home, essentially like feeling like the fabric property is, is part of our personal Space. Right, a civic pride sort of thing yeah. that we all shared and we all need to take care of it. Yeah. That's that's interesting. Yeah, I describe Berlin as a city of outsiders. And so yeah, if, you're well, an out, if you're an outsider, you feel right at home here in a sense. Uh, yeah. Unlike any other city you go to, but uh, I yeah. Think that's also essentially what I'm talking about in the workshop, that like how we can, you know, bring sort of a responsibility and equity, like how we actively uh, give our part of a privilege and then share and then develop that our shared space or like shared equipment i think right so this is what this is why we're discussing this sort of etiquette on the street and because your project is called how to be nice mm -hmm. and so as you're saying your workshop is really addressing this kind of social manners issue directly i guess so but like it's more likely um I like to bring it in more some sort of like a joyful gesture. So okay. often that when the misunderstanding uh, would happen in a public property, it's like small gesture. But I think at the same time, like as well as like German people are really sensitive about it, and also as we are, but we do have like some sort of a different different quality of gesture also. And you mean um, as immigrants as immigrants to Germany? Yeah. Also. Also. And I guess, yeah, even like an ethical difference could be regarded to a gesture. And that's the that's the sensitive part of the, I guess, racism. And then I'm, yeah, I, I just want to create some sort of like, some sort of like gestures that like uh, we can, we can make it to translatable. So like lately uh, in Germany, that translational feminism is getting popular. And um, through translational feminism? I think so, yeah. There's more. Could, could you could you tell me what that is, or try to tell me what that, try to tell it's me like, what that is? It's like a um, a German people like realize that like a feminism that brought up from UK or US doesn't really work because different path oh, and different history. And so like uh, we need to like um, kind of or, you need it. a, it's a you want an organic feminism in a sense like something yeah, that grows like, locally from the community, not this sort of imported. Yeah, also, like, uh, East Side has diff totally different feminist, like, uh, kind of, like, uh, discourse. And because that's, I think, coming from more, like, a communistic side, no? I guess. Sure. Yeah. And I guess you... it's, like, uh, what? Well, but, like, this isn't still, like, kind of, like, academic level. And then I often feel that, like, how the academia here, especially also, like, German people describe as it is, as in some sort of a reactive, how do you say, not hate but like like not uh, not willingness to cooperate with academia especially if they haven't studied in germany or they haven't had a chance to study here even like uh, they are german and they're saying yeah. that, like academia has this quite fixed terms of the wars and like in german and, and are um, you talking about art academia or academia in general um, I often feel that academia in general, that like uh, like a structure of the academia, but at the same time, also I'm I'm imagining like some few bits of a uh, art school here, of course, 
because this is also like my personal experience and the general conversation that often that like when I talk with people that who hasn't studied here while they're grown up and like they often bring up like how the academia has this fixed arm that like not that many people can access even if those like white people that feeling that left over then there's no way of immigrants or like second or third generation of Turkish or like Vietnamese that like they you know they can feel welcome or inclusive so like going back to this idea of translational I think uh, I like to tran- make it like not just only feminism but like I want to make it like a discourse that being fixed like I want to make it translational and then like in the bottom I think it comes to the gesture rather than like it was like I want to make each time that how the gesture define in the moment performatively I want to make it in a more like translational in a way that I can not so that people don't misunderstand negatively or positively, whatever. So interesting, yeah. So this is what your project is about. Now tell me, yeah. uh, in our past discussion, you discussed uh, neoliberalism quite a bit, and we sort of had a good conversation about that. When you're well, talking about these imported feminisms, it, is, the, is there a neoliberal side to that, or how does that fit into this whole conversation? The reason that like we started to have this, this, this conversation is like almost like I was using a neoliberal as an adjective to describe a moment that is almost undescribable, no? Thank and you're talking about the moment on the street, right? Well, not just only necessary. Do you remember that when you were at the exhibition? And then I think we, at least we are sharing some sort of a feeling up in the air when you see that something like conditional, like, or the people that neoliberal, and then like, or like artist or art society neoliberal. And then, like, you're always looking for some sort of, like, unfulfilled feeling that you can't describe what it is. But then this adjective format of neoliberal, like, somehow, like, fit into the gap of your unfilled feeling. Or well, I'm not sure if you're in the same stage uh, as me, but... So, like, well, that I think you, you've thought pretty you've thought pretty deeply on these things. So I'm I'm sort of yeah, but I think it's really interesting what you're so saying. Like, so what I mean is like um, essentially that term, as I describe this neoliberalism is like also hollow. But at the same time, there is the feedback that mm-hmm. I'm using that like so like the neoliberal itself created hollow. But then I'm using this like neoliberal as an adjective to fill the gap of this feeling. So, right, this gap in basically when people are interacting with each other. Yeah, or like, uh, um, so the, the neoliberalism is like created as in perspective of neoliberalism. And then also like last 10 or 20 years, or maybe more than that, like 30 years, there is a gap in between even like class differences or the attitude and then how they try to sell themselves individually, like looking for individual benefit and not caring that much as a, like social welfare or like a sure. responsibility in the public space is like creates a gap, right? But then like somehow me using this adjective format of the neoliberal, isn't it, oh, this is such a neoliberal. It's the like same word, but that function as feedback to fill the gap of like neoliberalism itself it's like kind of like a un- unfulfilled but like i i'm fulfilling that gap as in the same tactics and then it's same as in like uh, in an ad hoc so it, it's also talking about like uh, the methodology of technology you know like you can use same words but you can use in different way 
Absolutely. And yeah, I mean, as artists, we kind of know that the it, context is everything, right? Yeah. I think I thought like somehow we we shared fulfilled moment in order to use this neoliberalism. Like you were saying that like in the, the night, actually, this is like perfect to fit in to this to describe what it is. So that is like was my essential idea of like what's the filling in like, you know, like what's the yeah, what's the quality of fill the gap in? That's the that's what I wanted to provide. Right. In this workshop. And not just only workshop, but like, yeah, it's in, in general. It, as in, yeah, in general. And then I, I, yeah, we, we also had a shared moment in, in, I think, in the, in the, in the show that like how, how the conversation came out. And like, even though I don't speak English that like natively, and I guess, you know, but like we, we shared some sort of like a feeling that can be fulfilled shared. in order to, yeah. in, in, in order to identify adjectively this conditions is neoliberal it's more like a magical phrase but then like it's it, it, it magical like it, it gives some sort of like magical sense to it and in order to fill the gap of it but the definition itself is came out in a hollow and then the whole like it's a definitions and then this word itself functions to create a gap you know neoliberalism itself that's my whole point of it like how the marxist started to using this a uh, word uh, is they wanted to have their own bene uh, individual benefit from the social structure they wanted to become famous again like in order to beat the structure that what they called neoliberalism so like, you're saying there's this... a, a, a inherent hypocrisy in it yeah like everything is everything is based on everything is control like like ontologically everything is like based on this neoliberal meaning like like right, and since do you mean self promotion and and all this sort of stuff is that what you mean yeah it's also it's, it is it's like these marxist you know professors who are all trying to make a name for themselves is mm -hmm. that what you're and it's sort mm -hmm. of like that's also one of the reasons why we don't have the fixed term of neoliberalism because you're criticizing this person because you want to get the benefit you're criticizing the system in order to benefit yourself. Yeah, yeah, that's the origin of the neoliberalism, and then we are doing the same, even though we want we don't want to be neoliberalist. Yeah, sorry, and that's yeah. the whole point. What I was talking. Right, because the general sense, say, like in the art scene or in academia, is that yep. neoliberalism is a bad thing. Yes. Right. It's the. It's kind of like this capitalism kind of uh you know that's kind of just this heartless capitalism of multinational corporations right and that even you know it's uh this kind of corporatism mm -hmm. i i think I, I should i'm gonna you know at the start of this show i'm gonna actually look at the definition of neoliberal i think there's gonna be a lot of different definitions mm -hmm. one of the things mm -hmm. i liked about what you said as well was sort of characterizing the art world as kind of a neoliberal entity is as fuck yes uh, sorry i should i shouldn't swear but i go, go ahead go ahead yeah no i believe so and yeah even like talking about this identity politics and so on it's like that's the crazy part and i think we are just more and more like drawn to even like in our like uh, how to say uh, intellectual level like in intellectual wise we are like uh, literally drawn into the system and that's what i'm scared of i mean yeah now, the black squares you were talking about the other night, did you want to talk about it on the podcast or not? Which black square? Well, you're talking about the black squares on Instagram as kind of an example of this kind of neoliberal 
mentality or just, just a symptom of neoliberalism, which is this kind of, I think well, it's not it's not super charitable, but I, I mean, this is one way of looking at it is that it's people putting it for self-promotional reasons. Yeah, right? so that, I, right? I as, call, as the George. Now, yes, there's right. two parts to that, right? Because I think that could be, that's a fair interpretation, but I think the other interpretation is, oh, well, this is solidarity. I mean, I'm mm -hmm. putting putting my neck out and I'm making my statement and I'm saying, this is bullshit, right? Mm -hmm. And so, anyway, so w go ahead. I think um, what's interesting is that, like, uh, everything is still based on capitalistic or pictorial, I say, the lot of rational is that what you're saying? Oh, like, accelerationalism, uh, access, right, access right, access. accelerationalism, yeah, sure. The, um, the, so like um, how the system provides the chance that essentially, even like subconsciously, the huge amount of the citizen or people can actually learn the tactics and uh, strategies through it, but more in the like group, like how to say a group, group-wise, like huge people like going to like same directions. Sure. Um, but then this speed is becoming quicker and quicker somehow. Like I think I example that like uh, women's march and like clearly this person is like such a capitalist and like uh, they just only talking about money. But like they were posting this phrase where the, she was wearing pink clothes in the U.S. and saying I never I thought I never be uh, become like activist or something. And then that image was really like, I don't know, for me, somehow shocking that like they were against Trump and so on, I think, I think, well, four or five years ago. But like if people just like um, start learning uh, correctly on, on the Internet in, in, in some sort of like such a speed level in order to sell themselves. And, and but I think the speed increase and then like that's like two, three months uh, because of also COVID and not just only VLM, but like also in Germany that like how right wing people was talking about like, you know, free body, the reference right. is also coming from that like they, they also provide this phrase as in like some sort of like the almost they probably like like picked up from like queer queer aesthetic or queer scene that like uh, but then also they yeah. I just, um, then after that, like there's the right wing people meet up with liberal people. I was going to say, they, yeah, it's like a libertarian, you know, yeah. view. It's like hands off my body. Mm -hmm. I'm not wearing your stupid mask if I don't want to. Right. Yes. I mean, so, yeah. and that's sort of where the kind of the extreme left turns into the extreme right. I mean, because a lot of those demonstrations we saw at the Volksbühne, mm -hmm. uh, they were a lot, I would I'd characterize them as pretty left-leaning. I mean, that wasn't yeah. a right-wing uh, protest. That was a left-wing protest on uh, against the masks and the restrictions. Yeah. But then, then you look in the states, and it's uh, Texas, it's Florida, it's the southern states. Those are the ones that don't want to wear the masks. So it's a, yeah. you know, as we were saying earlier, the same gesture can mean in a weird way can mean kind of different things or mm -hmm. you know a context is everything in a sense in this case i think it means the same thing which is hands off my body yeah but yeah so i don't know what do you have, do you have anything to say about that well or? it's also like a trans how tr like they transmit they as in gesture or they as in this uh, phrase or like this magical uh, magical spell how they can uh, transmit on the internet in so 
quicker uh, speed level, you know, mm-hmm. and then people can learn that unconsciously. Like it's more like a, how do you say? Like a meme. Well, yeah, it's meme, but like it's um, it's just comes to like an not subliminal. Is it subliminal? Oh, subliminal. Yeah, I like think it's so, more so subliminal. Supposed... Yeah. Right. You're saying. So you think there's a subliminal quality to culture? Yeah, uh, but then like course, sy- it's almost that's... AI. The system itself creates right. subliminal structural functional. Uh, that there's the the functional structure, and then people learn to it like like subconsciously, but not just only like in actual not actual like uh, like substantial level. It's 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 also to the way uh, some sort of like uh, as Mark Fisher say, uh, capitalistic uh, realism. Like it's in our right. head. Yeah, it's almost like the tech is accelerating certain cultural viral trends. Is, is that what you're... And, and this, of course, gets played out in the identity politics realm and yes. at greater and greater speed. Now it's almost like what took months and years before can happen within a day uh, on Twitter. Yes. Right? And then, and then that's, you know, people are protesting I, on the street about that four hours later or two days later, right? And then I, I, I definitely like instinctively um, felt that four or five years ago with this like Tink Women's March. That was like, I was really shocked that that, that happens in reality. You know, it's almost like in, I, I thought it, it, I was watching some movies or something that like um, that. Right, now, now we should be clear, you you identify as a queer uh, person, right? Is that fair? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Now, just to, so that the listeners are aware of your context and aren't thinking that you're somehow a misogynist talking about the women's rights or right. march or whatever. But you saw you saw an issue there, though, in the... And now, was that on a Facebook post or was that looking at articles? Like, uh, how did so you... Like some sort of like, yeah, a lot of very, um, again, this some sort of like neoliberal gesture that like, uh, what, what, like I have seen this so many times, uh, like back in the five or four years ago. And that that's kind of like uh, triggers me to predict what would happen in the future which is already already happening in last two, three months. That like how we were talking about this, like, you know, we are essentially uh, drawing into the system and the system is like getting more speedier. And yeah, somehow like providing me like some sort of like weird nightmare, which I don't want to believe. Would you say your work is aimed at disrupting that? Yeah, maybe. Or like maybe it's more like also corporate, like cooperative skill, I guess, with that. Like, at least being aware of it. You know how to use it, you know? How the neoliberal is defined is uh, coming from a Marxist side. You know, US and, like, UK and Japan or, like, other country also. They were shifting from, uh, like, welfare to more individual, you know, individual cares and, like, based on individual responsibility, right? So if you don't, you need to care yourself rather than you rely on to the government or like uh, public public programs and so on. Yeah, I think that's fair in the last, say, 30 years. Ever since mm-hmm. Reagan, really, I think yeah, right. uh, there's been a kind of... Uh, and, and, that I, and so would you characterize that sort of... Uh, uh, it's kind of a conservative, small C conservative, but also I think it gets uh, also considered neoliberal, this sort of... Uh, self uh reliance right i mean it's kind of classic uh small c conservatism uh, but yeah, right. it's sort of become in in our last 20 years we might call it a neoliberal 
uh, mm -hmm. mindset, which is very kind of market focused, all about promoting you and yourself and you got to make it out there in the world. There's a little bit of a welfare state, but it's not, this is not a Marxist. Would you agree that neoliberalism, the way we're kind of defining it, and it seems like it could be defined quite a few different ways, uh, well, but like is kind that, of not Marxist in, in our current environment. But what do you think? Like for me, that like the way that neoliberal, uh, this, this definition of the neoliberal was created is is hollow, you know? Hollow. Yeah, it's like somehow that... It's like counter, like counter criticism. To me, like how the, I use the adjective neoliberal is like they tend to like form the like they care almost like kind of public social welfares and so on. But like in essentially like they don't. They're just only looking for like individual benefit. I guess like how the Marxists started to define neoliberalism is also like has this some sort of a similar quality to it. Like they wanted to have a power back to some sort of like communism and and it's some sort of like all like Oriental of oriented ontological like level that like we like we have same gesture to use this word the mm -hmm. how it's like originally created and then i think that's why i tend to use this like neo like as adjective like neoliberal because as personal we use neoliberal or to define something outside of them they are neoliberalists as well right so Okay, so where does that leave us right now? Like, so you see the statues coming down, you see the black squares on Instagram. Do you have, what are your thoughts on all that in the context of this discussion? It gives some sort of like similar sense that like how, example, all this information is like transmitted on the, on the internet and like the, how people learn like identity politics but at the same time in a more like neoliberal attitude so when it comes to like talking about identity politics they're also looking for uh, individual benefit through that right and, and this is kind of one of your really interesting themes that i mm. found was really interesting when you talked about neoliberalism because you're saying there's a as the people try and push their own identity ahead and push their agenda forward and make it in a neoliberalist yeah, yeah. system. In a sense, the identity politics becomes a means to an end, right? Yeah. It, yeah. It's sort of like, it's it's a way of promoting. But like, uh, that's, that's why, that's why I like uh, one, the Belgium, because they, they finally admit, or maybe not finally, but like uh, I've been to uh, Bristol once and like the one of the huge square that everything that museums and that, the square was courted by gorge. I was really shocked because it, it gives them sort of the still like sense of winning from the colonialism, you know? Right. The square You're was like courted the by, yeah, like uh, all those right. like. It's gold. like the British Museum with the Elgin marbles, right? Yes, I mean, yes. yes. We, they can. They can say all they want in their other exhibitions, as long as they're still there, there's yeah. an inherent hypocrisy. Yeah. Right? And, then, and, oh, well, it's, maybe this is a good example of what you're talking about, sort of this neoliberalism, you know, they're serving their own agenda, mm -hmm. right? They're pushing their own British Museum identity forward, because who yeah. wants to lose the Elgin marbles? Yeah, so it's like, it was kind of like a nice example of like, even like seeing equity, as in they were actively happy to lose some sort of their privilege. And then uh, also they admit that they were hollow. They were like empty. Their hand is dirty. Like it's right. a symbol of like uh, sharing, okay, no one's hand is clean anymore. Especially like if you know the history of Congo. Like uh, 
Congo's government is doing the same things as in like a Belgium, you know? Well, this is the, yeah, I mean, you're, I couldn't agree more in a sense. Yeah, you're singing my song and it's an extremely complicated issue because yes, nobody wants totally. to rash, nobody wants to rationalize suffering, right? Uh -huh. Or to justify it. But yeah, I mean, human nature being human nature, we're all guilty to a certain degree. Like yeah. all our hands are dirty. And I, I completely agree with that. And I think to me, that's the starting point of a yeah, discussion totally, totally. to actually trying to solve this thing rather so, than simply making it about reparations. And I'm not saying that there shouldn't be reparations, but mm -hmm. how do we move forward is to me the bigger question that kind of doesn't get answered. Well, the answer is, I think, regarding to gesture. Like, that's why I'm in German society. And then I think Germany is still has huge struggles to admit their fascism because it's been forbidden how to learn their individual fascism in an internal level, you know? And then that's what I describe as in how they were scared to be hollow or how they were scared to be empty, how they are scared to feel that the gap in the internal itself, in themselves. And then to me, that how I provide is like going back to this example of when you're four or five and if you find the gap on the concrete, how do you say, this, uh, the pavement on the street, like you like want on to the fill... the sidewalk or whatever. Yeah, you want to fill the gap of like centimeter with something that like the material like you have, even like chewing gums or something. Obviously, right. chewing gum is not like eco-friendly, but... Sure, but you just have an instinct to fill that gap is what you're saying. Yeah. But like that gives some sort of like joyfulness, I guess. That like sure. I mean, or you jump over it. I mean, that's what I would do. I mean, I wonder yeah. if sometimes I still do that. But uh, <laughs> no. But yeah, yeah. Like you do something with it. You there's a gesture associated with it. Yes, and then not just only like trying to hide. You need to acknowledge the gap that exists in front of your face, and like, what do you want to do with it? Right. And then, right. so that's. To me, like as in like as me performance artist, what I can provide is I like, try to not afraid of like seeing the gap in front of your face, and then as in as some sort of the like, other hop, like how can what you can do with it, you know? Right, and playing with that, and, yeah. you know, what kind of different gestures, and I guess okay. So wrapping up, then, how do people participate, or can they? Uh, yeah, yeah, like I mean. Like, is they, it something you walk into? What is this, like an installation? Is it something you walk and you look at? Is it online only? What is this? It's more likely, uh, provided it isn't widely. I think uh, we still want to follow. This is also some sort of like a theater, kind of like theater practice or like a theater piece that like people also can come to watch it. But like everything is following in uh, German. So like that gives some sort of a restrictness as well. But sure. as in the most some sort of like comical way. And then we just provide issue. Example, like if we say that, like, oh, do you want to come to this place to have a drink and I got tea? But then, like, when it's come to that point, people arrived and we provide the issue. Oh, sorry, we don't have any tea right now. Then we can go to supermarket together, like buying tea, bring an idea, and then, but then bring in, uh, or like providing some sort of the instant issue. Mm -hmm. Then we can we can solve together. We as individual has individual social roles, as an example, 
someone would not want to speak in German that often, then it's fine. Or like someone that maybe wants to speak, it's fine also. There's not any enforcement for that. But yeah, it's it, how, it's also like how we can also like respect it, like not like as in diversity, but like, um, like, ability and disability of like a, in, a, in the learning that learning process and then I think the learning language is like quite essentially obvious to it some people can't really learn you know that like instantly speaking and some people can do but then this is also like as in some sort of the metaphor of learning how to fill the gap so like some people are not really good at filling a gap or some people even has the some sort of hesitation you know as, as I described uh, some German uh, don't want to be met as in a filler as in, in a social structure and then same like that like uh, people don't want to or like people you know not willing to practice filling a gap as well I guess. And by filling the gap, are, are you talking about the gesture? So like when you have someone over and you're talking about tea, is it also how people react? to yeah you know okay we don't have tea and so, you almost discuss well what kinds of ways can we react to this and and say something and and kind of explore the is that the gap in a sense it's the, it's the gap also in a sense but then also like actually being silent you know could be filling a gap all that sure sure but, but at the, the same time is that where the gesture is yeah yes also right, and then right. also like actually in this sense that like not being nice is actually filling the gap as well so like uh, you don't have to entertain their conversations if you don't want to you know right that you don't could need be... to fill the you don't need to fill the gap with something good yeah right so that's also I... like your social role sure. then like it, it depends on you know, improvising performance i think it's like um, it's also the practice of how to how to engage and how, how to like examine the moment if you do or you, if you should do and then like uh, that can have some sort of like restrictive a functionality towards the in a group uh, in the group or in a social space or also to your individual yourself is there anything else you'd like to add to what you're saying and what, what you're about and is there any way uh, people can contact you if they're interested yeah i, I mean i do have the link then i, I can put in that you know what i'll do i'll put it in the show notes yeah i'll put it i'll put a link and you mean to your facebook page right yes and yes. yeah if you go into the about of the facebook page facebook just buries everything uh yeah. in service of their ads but uh, and their own content but yeah, if you go click on about once you get to Yuki's Facebook page, mm -hmm. and it's not actually Yuki's Facebook page, it's for the How to Be Nice page, and then you'll find the description more in detail. So is it running anywhere, Yuki, or is it just is there an ongoing? It's on August, yeah, like it's been, it's been quite for like because of COVID. Sure, you were going to do it a couple of months some, ago, weren't you? Yeah, weren't you? some few members that like, there is also like ex-German teacher, and I think uh, she wants to do something on August. Um, so we're going to plan for that. Very um, cool. How many people yeah. are involved in this project? Is it just it's you? So and... far, like like four or five is organizing. Not a much. Sure, we, but it's... it's like three, four times. Okay. Well, thanks, Yuki. Keep us Thank updated. You. Thank you very much for coming on. Uh, I'm sort of restarting this podcast a little bit. So thanks for getting mm -hmm. us started. And yeah, I'm sure we'll check in with you again. And Thank so, you so uh, yeah, and... Uh, Enjoy the rest of your day at the cafe here in Berlin, <laughs> in Mitte, yeah. and I'll talk to you soon. Cheers. All right, see you later. Bye-bye.
And there you have it, Yuki Nishimura, Japanese performance artist based in Berlin, with his incredibly interesting, unique take on the world and the neoliberal moment. So thank you, Yuki. Really appreciate you taking a chance on us as we restart this thing. And thank you also to our listeners. Those precious listeners that are listening to us today, thank you for listening. If you want to help us out, leave a review in the Apple Podcast directory. Share it with your friends. Until next time, I'm Adrian Pocavelli.